Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, April 11th, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Greetings. Greetings. Uh-huh. Good. <laughs> Hello, Michael. <laughs> you know, it'll eventually get out of my routine to stop saying good morning. You know, okay. <laughs> eventually. We understand. <laughs> so with us, we have a very, very special guest and mm-hmm. i hope you are all ready to laugh a lot because julia halston <laughs> is with us miss halston recently starred as rita marshall in the broadway production of tootsie her other credits our other credits include richard greenberg's the babylon line you can't take it with you on the town anything goes on the 20th century hairspray she's a founding men- member of the charles bush legendary theater company and co-starred with mr bush in numerous productions including the divine Sister, Red Scare on Sunset, and Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. Julie, thank you so much for getting up on a Sunday morning and talking with us. Well, that's okay. I'm <laughs> very happy to be here. I oh, really am. And by the way, it's Bill Irwin's birthday today, so we may ah, want to wish ah. Bill Irwin a happy Yes, birthday. indeed. Nice yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh-huh. All right. Um, Julie, um, back in 1985, when you were first starting with Charles Bush, first off, how did you meet him? And did you think it would ever amount to anything? Well, you know, when you say 1985, I'm sure there are some young people out there going like, wait, is that the Civil War? (laughs) Might as well be 1885. (laughs) No, no, no. no. We're having the Civil War right now. That's another story. (laughs) Um, Well, here's the thing. I went to Hofstra University and there was a guy there named Bobby Cohen who um, moved to Washington, D.C. And he worked for the uh, National Endowment for the Arts. And Charles Bush used to do a one man show called Alone with a Cast of Thousands. Uh And he played men and women. It was a sort of gender bending performance art kind of thing, sort of way before anyone was doing anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my friend Bobby thought it was just so extraordinary. And um, Bobby said to Charles, you should meet my friend. Uh, well, I was at that point, I was Julie Halston because, you know, I had married at the tender age of 10 um, uh. <laughs> to somebody named Halston. And um you know, she's the funniest woman in the world. That's when, that's how he had announced himself, announced me to Charles. And Charles said, I don't want to meet her. Uh. You know, I'm the funniest woman in the world. Uh. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and, and Bobby said, I want you to meet this guy, Charles Bush. I said, I do not need another gay friend. I have a lot yeah. already. Mm-hmm. I need a boyfriend. Not uh-huh. a gay friend. Mm-hmm. Well, as life would have it, a number of years later, I found myself in San Francisco because Bobby had brought me out there to do a benefit for GRID, gay-related immunity. Because mm-hmm. people wow. were dying of GRID. We didn't know wow. it was AIDS. Wow. It was a terrible act. Terrible. I was terrible. 
Mm-hmm. But Charles Bush was in the audience because he happened to be doing his act at the Valencia Rose, which was a former mortuary. I mean, really, wow! Couldn't <laughs> you couldn't really have art directed it better? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and we were at the Valencia Rose, and um, basically that's where I met Charles Bush. He thought I was terrible, but he uh. loved the way I looked. Uh-huh. I was very chic looking. I had a Vidal Sassoon haircut. All right. And a, a very Kay Thompson kind of uh-huh. uh, chic white and black with red lipstick, a jumpsuit. Uh, but anyway, that's how we met. We were not impressed with one another. Wow. Cut to mm-hmm. a number of months later, he had written this little skit called Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. Everyone turned him down, including <laughs> his own sister. Wow. <laughs> and they were desperate because Lola Pashalinsky, mm-hmm. now that name might ring a bell as mm-hmm. one of Charles Ludlum's people, mm-hmm. she did the first weekend of it. And as Charles said, she never wanted to go back to that crack den again. It was <laughs> at the Limbo Lounge on you know, Avenue B, you know, in the 1980s, come on, there was no bathroom. It was Lola Pachulinski was like, I'm done with this. So he needed another leading lady. His own sister turned him down. Everyone turned him down. He finally said, what about that horrible blonde (laughs) that I met in San Francisco? Well, He called me up because I had given him my number. He said, why don't you come over and meet uh, my director? And it's not really an audition, but, you know, let's just read through the play. (laughs) Well, we did. I went over. It was terrible. I didn't know. I didn't understand this kind of I thought I was going to be head of Gabler. You know, Uh I I thought I was going to do Strindberg and Uh you know, serious drama. I didn't understand what this vampire lesbian of Sodom thing is. And I heard Ken Elliott in the kitchen, which was literally two feet away from me. And he said, Charles, she's terrible. We can't mm. use her. Wow. And I, wow. they were desperate. They were desperate. So they took me. Anyway, mm. I got worse through rehearsal. <laughs> but here's the great moment. And I'm not joking. This really is how it happened. Our first performance was at something called 8BC, which was a real crack den, but it was the talk of the town. It was the place where all the performance artists were going. And I turned to the company and I said, look, I know I don't understand this kind of drama, a comedy drama, right. <laughs> but you put me in a wig in front of 60 gay men and I am going to glow. Well, I stole the show. And Charles was like, holy Toledo. I I mean, I got a right for this woman. And the cast, they just couldn't stop laughing. And people really loved my character. And I don't, I think it's because I got in front of an audience. Mm. You know what I mean? I couldn't. I couldn't perform well in front of a rehearsal room, but put me in front of an audience Mm. and I knew how to respond. Well, but also, especially, especially that kind of comedy. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It was over the top. 
it there was a bit of like you had to be inside to really get a lot of the references. But it was also referencing, you know, Tallulah Bankhead or Betty Davis or all these divas. And it's it's a really out there way of performing. And right. I wasn't getting it in rehearsal, but I really got it in front of an audience. And All right. Know, but what's also interesting, as you said, uh, put me in a wig. Um, a lot yeah. of people say, you know, I, I learned the character from the walk. I learned the character from the voice. Um, are wigs uh, important for you to find a character? It's number one. Number no, one. No joke. No uh-huh. joke. Mm-hmm. The wig is number one. Costumes, number two. And I would say the shoes are number three. <laughs> okay. And you put it all together. I, I am not inside out. I'm outside in. Hmm. So I now, would really not do well with the method. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I would be a failure in Lee Strasberg's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would Until be they a put a failure. wig on you. <laughs> he would have kicked me out day two. <laughs> All right. But here you are mentioning Kay Thompson. You're mentioning Tallulah Bankhead. Did you have an interest in these people while you were growing up or did this happen because of Charles Bush? No, I had an interest in these people when I was growing up because I used to watch um, Million Dollar Movie. Yeah. Ah. Do you remember Million Dollar yes. Movie? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Five times a week. The, exactly. The theme, and music, I to... the theme music was Tara's theme from Correct. Uh, Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Nowadays, that would not go. Um, but you can watch it over and over and over. And of course, interestingly, who did I end up sort of being in in Charles's stock company was Eve Arden. And of uh, course, she was one of my favorites. Uh-huh. Um, then I got a little sidetracked, I have to admit. Mm. I got a little sidetracked the minute the Beatles entered my life. Uh-huh. And then, but then... The 60s happened, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of the things that bonded Charles and I, you know, we've never really talked about this really a lot. But one of the things that really, really bonded Charles and I a great deal was our love of everything 60s. Dolly Birds, The Look, Gene Shrimpton, Twiggy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Patty Boyd, The Beatles, Miniskirts. Peasant blouses, long uh-huh. hair. Mm-hmm. Um, we became obsessed. And that's when he wrote The Curtain Raiser to Vampire Lesbians of Sodom, which was Sleeping Beauty or Coma. Mm. And that was a curtain raiser. And it was about the swinging 60s. Uh-huh. And, and, and um, I guess another example of that was uh, now, well, <laughs> uh, well, Psycho Beach Party. Psycho yeah, sure. Beach yeah, Party. yeah, 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 yeah. And the only reason I was not in Psycho Beach Party, mm. and, and believe me, it was a tough decision, um, was I had a, a really, really close friend who was dying of AIDS, mm. and his family disowned him. Yeah. And five of us decided to be his caregiver. Mm-hmm. And um, I said to Charles, look, I know you always write for me, and I know he wanted me to play, you know, the best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, look, I will help produce Psycho Beach Party. But I was still working on Wall Street at that point. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have to take care of this dear friend. And it was 1986, I believe. And um, he said, OK, I get it. I get it. And I believe Becky London 
who's still one of our dear friends. Becky London ended up doing the role. I ended up producing it with Ken Elliott. And um, it was at the Players Theater mm-hmm. on next yes. next to the uh, Provincetown Playhouse. Right. Do you remember the chaos about uh, naming the character that he he originally wrote it as Gidget, I believe. Do you remember Gidget this? Gidget goes psychotic. Yeah. Yes. And, Original and, title. And then there was problem that the Gidget people didn't want him to use that, and he had a contest. Do you remember this? Yes. Oh, yes. I remember it very well because he announced it from the stage. At that point, we had moved to the Limbo Lounge, and that was our permanent residence. Uh-huh. The Limbo Lounge was hardly a step up from HBC. <laughs> um, you know, literally, you would walk in, and there would be like, like syringes and vials, crap vials on the floor. Um, Of course, we loved it. (laughs) I was on Wall Street at that time. This was freedom for me. Sure. um, I would appear in my St. Laurie suit. Remember in the 80s, women wore little string ties and white blouses. Yes, indeed. We'd bring our sneakers on the (laughs) subway. That's what I was. And then we'd go to the limbo lounge, and he announced it from the stage that we were going to have this contest. And the thing that was so great too, uh, is that um, Charles treated our troupe as if it were, you know, like Tallulah Bankhead doing the big show, Mm -hmm. you know, he would say, he would (laughs) announce us after each performance, Ah. you know, and he would say like, let's hear it for our wonderful ingenue, Teresa Mm Marlowe. And then, you know, and everyone, everyone knew the stock characters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our beautiful, you know, uh, Bobby, you know, and we all had our stock characters and um, the audience loved it. It was very comforting and it was such a terrible time. Mm -hmm. Not unlike now in the Mm -hmm. sense that there was a pandemic, it was an epidemic and, People would come from all over, and um, we knew we were on to something when literally limousines were parked wow. outside wow. of the Limbo Lounge. Wow. And that's when we got into People magazine, and there was a picture of us, and it was a, an article about the burgeoning, amazing scene, performing arts scene. Mm. on the Lower East Side. Uh-huh. And they mentioned, um, I don't know if they mentioned Lipsinka. They mentioned uh-huh. Ann Magnuson, Lydia mm. Lunch, John Sex, the pop, the fabulous Pop-Tarts. But, you know, <laughs> except for Ann Magnuson and us, a lot of those people didn't really, Continue. you know, right, yeah. didn't quite take off. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I entered that. I entered that cost contest to. Did you really? And, um, and what was and your? What was I did, your? All right. I, obviously, I didn't win. But can I tell you what what it was? Okay. Sure. It was uh, sweet sixteen. <laughs> oh wow! And okay. some people thought it was funny, but they also thought it sounded like the title of a porno movie. So, well, oh, I can appreciate that okay. too. Yeah, and, probably. And, and do we remember Lord. what the, do we remember what the winner was so that our, our listeners can hear? Psycho Beach Party. No, 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 no. I mean the name of the character. 
Oh, ch- oh, it was chiclet. Chiclet, yes, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's yes, a gr- that was digit. great. That was yeah. great. Whoever put that, I, I don't know who it was who suggested that, but that was the perfect thing because, of course, <laughs> we know that word in a different context. But she was a chick in the circumstances, so <laughs> it was really a great, 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 great um, gag. So, well, and the great gag too was when uh, they were on the beach on the beach blanket, and Charles you know, takes his shirt off shirt off and says, I don't think I'm, I'll ever fill out. <laughs> and he's always brought the house down. And I'm brings- pathetic. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pathetic. pathetic, pathetic right? Right. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever fill out. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. It really was. Speaking of gags, you know, I, I think we would all agree there's no greater gift that, a, that an actor, especially a comic actor, can have than to be given a line a joke that absolutely stops the show. And, uh, you, uh, you know, you've probably had several in Charles's shows that I can't specifically think of, but I certainly remember the one you had in Tootsie. And oh, yeah. I thought I, I, if we could talk about that a little bit, cause that was amazing. <laughs> well, you know, people still <laughs> stop me on the street. That's nice. It really is. It really is. Um, well, there's a little history there. Tootsie uh, evolved slowly. They wanted to... Robert Horn knew what he wanted in the character of Rita Marshall. Her, her name originally was Rita Mallory. Uh-huh. And they wanted it to be... He didn't know what he wanted. You know, we all loved Doris Bellack in the movie... Mm. She played the head writer in the movie, but he didn't know if he wanted it to be a writer or a producer. And then they didn't really even know if they wanted that character. Uh-huh. And they, they actually tried out a lot of different people. The first three um, workshops and Robert Horn being Robert Horn went to Scott and said, Scott, I know this is an old-fashioned kind of idea, but I need someone who can do really classic Jewish rhythms, classic vaudevillian Jewish (laughs) rhythms. And (laughs) apparently uh, Jim Carnahan said, oh, just we're going to call Julie Halston. (laughs) We're just going to call her. And I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know they were doing this. Oh. Um, It was also at a time that Ralph was very ill Mm -hmm. and I was taking care of him. So I didn't know if I could be doing this. I came to this workshop. I didn't know what to do. Didn't know what this was about. But every time I opened my mouth, Robert Horn started laughing. Uh, I didn't even know who Robert Horn was. I just mm-hmm. saw this this little guy in the back of the room just screaming with laughter. And apparently after the workshop was over, he went up to Scott Ellis and he said, I don't care what we do. We got to get this girl. Got to get her. So Scott came up to me. It's a really great, wonderful theater story because, mm-hmm. you know, I was it, it was really tough. I mean, you guys yeah. all knew Ralph and yeah. it was yeah, really indeed. a tough time. Indeed. Um, Scott pulled me aside and he said, 
hey, you want to do this Broadway show? You want to do it? And I said, what what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're just going to do Rita Marshall, right? You're just going to do it. And I remember calling the home care aide at that point. And I said, "Can can you stay home with my husband for another 15, 20 minutes? I'll pay you extra. She said, of course, don't worry about it. Because I decided to walk home from 34th Street to 55th Street. And just I just cried the whole way home. Mm-hmm. Just cried. Because mm-hmm. it, it was going to change the year, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do it so badly. And Robert came up to me and he said, I'm going to write you the funniest stuff in this show. Mm-hmm. And he did. He did. <laughs> and he did. And every night... Every night in Chicago and every night in New York City, that line stopped the show. And I got exit applause. And I just like, what a gift. What a gift. Can we and ask you to recreate it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can, can we, for our, those of our listeners who, well, who, who may not have heard it right, and yeah. seen it, but even mm-hmm. for those who did. Mm-hmm. If you could, you know, I, I would do the setup if I knew it exactly, but mm-hmm. maybe you could. Well, um, now, let me remember exactly how it was. Um, uh, I said, now, wait, now I have to remember how I, uh, how I did this. Um, it reminds me. Oh, you know what? I'm actually not going to remember it now. Wait, we might have to come back to this. Okay, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't think no, I was. No, no, no. It's, I know. I know. That's fine. Um, I'm trying to think of the line that Santino Fontana says to me. And I say, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm not going to remember it. Sometimes I wish my first husband could look down from heaven and see me now. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> but no, the bastard is still alive. <laughs> thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Today's episode of This Week on Broadway is being brought to you by ExpressVPN. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. ExpressVPN lets you change your online location so that you can control where you want sites to think you're located. Like last week, I watched Star Trek Discovery on UK Netflix. Can't get that here in the US. So you load up ExpressVPN, connect to the UK, and start Netflix, and there it is. Choose from almost 100 different countries. This works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, anything. So why choose ExpressVPN over other VPNs? You can stream in HD with no problem, no buffering, no lag. It's compatible with all your devices, phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, everything. Not only does it let you change your location, it also encrypts your data and lets you surf the web safely and anonymously. Go to expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash broadwayradio. We'd like to thank ExpressVPN for continuing to support Broadway Radio. So I have, I have a few questions uh, uh, related to Tootsie. Uh, you had uh, the, the famous Con Edison outage in the middle of a performance. Yes. Tell us about <laughs> what happened and how, how you all dealt with that. Well, I was in my dressing room. Uh, it was very odd, you know, because 
the lights kind of dimmed mm-hmm. first, and then you kind of go, oh, wait, yeah. what's yeah. happening? And then there was silence on the monitor and silence. Oh. And we just thought this would be a temporary little glitch. And then <laughs> I saw on my phone a tweet from Juliet Papa on 1010 Winds mm. saying power outage across mm. the city. Mm. And then suddenly everyone on Broadway started like texting each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we're all in Santino's dressing room opening wine. Oh. <laughs> um, it was a little crazy. So, and I was like, guys, guys, this, we can't, no, don't open the wine now. Yeah. We might be on stage in five sure, minutes. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, don't open the wine now. We have to get back on stage. Um, so anyway, we waited and waited and waited and we were looking at updates. And then like all of a sudden we hear that Hades town is like outside hmm. and singing. <laughs> and, and we're like, wait, what's happening? Um, so it was a little odd. And then we hear that everyone is sort of gathering outside. We're waiting and waiting. And then the stage management finally said, this is really happening. We're canceling the rest of this show. And I don't know, did, did they actually refund or did they have, did, did, did people come back? I wonder. I, I think that it was a mixture of both that they okay. did uh, yeah, refunds for probably right. refunds for people who couldn't come back, but they certainly tried to reschedule the tickets. Sure. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure. And we all, I remember walking home and uh, it was very odd. It looked like one of those Mad Max movies. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because the yeah. lights were out and, and yet there were people sort of zooming around in cars. And mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. very odd. And mm-hmm. remember, guys, this happened in 2003. Mm-hmm. We had a, pa- a big power outage. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I was doing Gypsy at that point with Bernadette Peters. And we had to cancel a show. Mm-hmm. And and that that was when the strippers did meet at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Buttigieg, myself, and Heather Lee. Yeah, I, I want to go back to uh, when you were a kid. When did you realize you were funny? Well, <clears throat> interestingly, uh, it was kind of forced on me in a sense. I I was a. This is not unusual. Uh, in fact, I'm going to drop names now, but Joan Rivers and I talked about this. Uh-huh. But you know, I'm a relentless name dropper. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were shy kids, shy, shy, shy. Mm-hmm. And I realized at a certain point, I guess I was about seven. I didn't really have any friends, seven or eight. And the people who were popular were f- sort of cut ups, you know, the, the, uh, sort of, yeah. the, the mouthy, mouthy people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I needed a few friends. So I started getting a little mouthy and um, kind of being sarcastic. And, um, and then I kind of couldn't shut up. And I remember my mom in my third grade went to a parent-teacher conference because I was always a very shy, daydreamy kid. And she um, went to a parent-teacher conference. Miss Stafford. 
That was her name, Miss Stafford. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. looks very much like Eileen Brennan, by the way. Uh-huh. Miss Stafford <laughs> uh, said to him, oh, you're Mrs. Abatelli. And I, my mother said, I know my daughter has a real problem with daydreaming. She said, daydreaming <laughs> never shuts up. I wish she would daydream. <laughs> and that's when my mother realized something had happened. Um, but it was a real conscious choice on my part because mm-hmm. I wanted to make an impression. You mm-hmm. know? And... Uh, but I didn't really uh, know I was, I didn't really take myself seriously as funny until I was in high school. And the drama club helped that along? Oh, yes. Well, I, I, I won the drama award. All right. A little more respect. I yeah. won the drama <laughs> award. Um, but I, uh, yeah, and I was a real cut up. And I was sort of always, you know, um, you know, I was rather popular and, um, you know, a a real cut up. And that's when I think I really came to understand like, oh, this is, it's powerful to be funny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful. And, um, and then I went to college. Wait, wait, wait. I want to know what you won the award for in high school. Oh, it was the drama. The I was, you know, best actress. It was the drama. Yes. But what was the show? No, it was it was the overall. I see. At the end of the year, at the end of okay. your when you graduate, I see. You know how they have like you know, um, this is stri- most <laughs> popular. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a lifetime achievement. Yeah, um, really, uh, a, a lifetime achievement award for high school. It was the um, lifetime <laughs> achievement award. Yes. Um, uh, however, uh, favorite roles in high school include. Wait until dark. Uh huh. Mm. We know what part you played. Oh, the, the, we know. Yes, yeah. uh, the, the Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> yeah. You know. um, but um, actually, we did. We were very daring. I went to a very progressive high school and we did um, lots of sort of experimental kind of shows. Uh, but we also did things like Hello, Dolly. Mm-hmm. And um, Charlie Clute was our um, uh, drama teacher. And he was very progressive. So we would do things like we would do poetry readings. We would do the people. Yes. We would do things like Viet rock. Uh-huh. Do, do you know what I mean? Things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, yeah. And I was always very good at that. Or we would do improv too. So did you go to Hofstra? Did you go to Hofstra for theater? I did. Um, I really wanted to go to Emerson. Uh-huh. But Hofstra gave me such a large scholarship. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Emerson gave me a scholarship too, but it wasn't as big. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my parents had two kids in college at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, this, it's, it's quite a Long Island story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. But, you know, Hofstra was known for its reconstruction of the globe. And I was about as Shakespearean as the pen I'm holding. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, that was just not going to go. So um, I didn't get uh, cast in things until like really in leading roles until like junior year. And my favorite role was, and 
God, my God, the estate will get it. We'll, we'd get in trouble. We did an all female, female version of waiting for Godot. Uh, and uh, I played Pazzo. That was my yeah. favorite role in the world. Uh, we also yeah. did things like Idiot's Delight. Uh-huh. And I was one of the showgirls, of mm-hmm. course. Um, but that was really my favorite, doing Pazzo. Hmm. Um, it was great. Um, and uh, I, I ended up winning a, a, a drama award at Hofstra, too, by mm-hmm. senior year. I don't remember exactly what the title was, but... I did win some kind of award. I'm a late bloomer. What can I say? I'm a late bloomer. So, ultimately, I win the awards, but it it, it may take 100 years. Well, it, it sounds like it takes till senior year. That's it not ta- so bad at all. Thank you. You, you. you got it completely right. It takes senior year. Yeah. Yeah. Julie, yeah. Um, some of our listeners um, – uh, after we had announced uh, a couple weeks ago that you were coming on, had sent me uh, an email saying that they're going to see you in period piece tomorrow night. Uh, so tell us about period piece. Well, you know, I, I, here I am doing all these Zoom things, right? And of course, I do virtual Halston every week. I thought, do I really want to do another Zoomy kind of thing? And certainly about women and their periods, I might want to eat glass, really. <laughs> Honestly, I kind of might want to eat glass. But I have to say, Karen Carpenter, the director, she and I have worked together and we did Love Lost and What I Wore, mm-hmm. which is honestly, I got to tell you guys, I did, th- I think I did three stints of that. I loved that piece. Nora Ephron and Delia mm-hmm. Ephron wrote mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Aaron Carpenter, um, it, based on uh, Gingy Beckerman's uh, book. Sure. Um, Karen Carpenter was the director. And we got on like a house on fire. She asked me to do this piece. And I was like, you're joking. What? Really? And it was for a women's charity and to help girls young girls. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, this is one of those taboo kind of topics, you know, girls and their bodies and what they go through. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'd be curious and interested in doing this. And she told me that there were these young playwrights writing about all these things and what girls go through and what, you know, and some of them are funny and some of them are serious. And, you know, I, I did the vagina monologues and I thought, I, you know what, I'm going to do this. And I'm really glad I did. Uh, um, it's they're very moving and very funny. And the one I did was this woman who um, is explaining, you know, what women's bodies go through with all their different periods. And she's, you know, she's kind of a... Um, Oh, what what can I say? She's one. She's the kind of person who would be on Oprah's book club. She's very very grand, <laughs> and she you know she wears you know bespoke clothing, and she's very glamorous. And and Karen said you know we'll we'll have you do you know hair and makeup and wear a beautiful outfit. And I thought oh well now I'm in. I'm really uh-huh. in. <laughs> um, but it was very moving, and it's really great. And you know I think any time we can encourage young women to write pieces for the theater 
Why, why shouldn't we be doing that? We need to be doing that. And these girls are great. And if we can help girls with this charity, particularly, why not? So I, I did it. And I'm really happy I did. And it was well done. It was well produced. So let's give some information about it. Uh, The uh, performance that you're going to be involved with is tomorrow evening, April 12th at 8 p.m. You can get uh, a ticket at periodpeaceplay.com. It's uh, $20 per performance, so you can get all three performances for $40. On April 12th, you're also uh, working with Beth Level and Mandy Moore, Julie White. On the performance at April 19th, uh, you got Jessica Hecht. Yes. You got Geneva Carr. On uh, mm. on the 26th, you have Judy Gold, Maddie Corman, yep. Katie Huffman. I mean, it, it's it's really not only a wonderful cause, but chock full of talent. So it's so amazing. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. And you talked about the uh, virtual Halston and which uh, you've been doing uh, with, uh, I, I guess, Jim, Jim Caruso's producing it. Um, and yes. it, it's just episode one. If you need to have an introduction with Mario Cantone, just <laughs> make sure that you pee before you watch it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. it's just the, the two of you together, it's like crossing the stream in Ghostbusters. Oh, you know? bless you. And, but also, yeah. I, I I saw the recent one with Paul Rudnick and Peter oh, Bartlett, my goodness. Oh. and and a uh, a brief appearance by Brian Bat. And my friend uh, Kevin McInerney had seen it before I did, and he said, he said, "You have got to watch this." He said, "I literally was sitting in front of my computer, laughing out loud." So, oh. yeah. Yes, and and it's true, and it was just delightful. We just did a fave moments because I'm actually taking a little hiatus because I'm actually going to be doing a play for a month, which wow. which I can tell you about because it's actually. I can talk about it. So okay. I had to take a hiatus before we do season three of Virtual Halston. But the Paul Rudnick, Peter Bartlett episode <laughs> was one of the very favorites that our uh, audience loved. And I have to say, Paul Rudnick told a story that I had completely forgotten about. And it was on the Favorite Moments show. If you'll indulge me, I had completely forgotten about this. Apparently, when they were casting I Hate Hamlet, mm-hmm. I went in to audition. And I said, oh, yes, Paul, I remember I auditioned for the real estate lady. He said, yes, but Julie, do you remember what you did before you left the room? <laughs> and I thought, no. <laughs> you took a long walk to the door of the room, and then you turned dramatically to everyone in the room and you put your two little fingers by your, 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 your forehead. And you went, Julie Halston comedy. (laughs) 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 I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. We're still talking about it. Like decades later, Julie Halston comedy. (laughs) Believe that. I mean, crazy, crazy, crazy. So let's hear about the play. What are you doing? So this is really interesting. Kevin Cahoon, Mm -hmm. the actor, Mm -hmm. is also a director. Ah. And he's a very good director. And 
he uh, is going to be directing a production of It's Only a Play. Oh. Terrence McNally's sure. play. Ah. Mm-hmm. It's Only a Play. And he asked me to play the Stalker Channing role of Virginia, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the diva. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to happen is we're going to rehearse it on Zoom for a week. Then we are actually going into the 42nd Street Studios and we are rehearsing it as if we were doing a Broadway play. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be me and Ann Harada and Andy uh, Grotolution, my Tootsie uh, castmate, and a, a number of other people. He's got all, all star cast. We're going to rehearse for another week or so. Then we're all going off to the George Street Playhouse and we're going to stay there and we're going to film it on the set and on in the, in, you know, no audience, but we're going to film it like a film of a play. And then they're going to, I guess, live stream it, you know, and they made a wonderful deal with equity. They're being very generous and we're, we're very excited about doing this. So I had to take a hiatus from, cause we're going to start next week mm. uh, from now until May 16th, we'll be working on this. But I think it's going to be sensational. I'm really looking forward to it. And they're really, they're spending some money. Ah. They're spending some real money. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. like just, oh, we're doing a black box thing. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're really doing it. Hmm. And, you know, I think this is going to be kind of sensational. So I'll that's what I'm be. looking forward to. Indeed. Um, I want to go way back in time because I'm very curious about a play you did that didn't work out terribly well. But given the fact that Helen Gallagher and Dolores Gray were in it, um, do do you have any memories of Money Talks? Memories? I've dined (laughs) on it for centuries. It's one of the funniest moments of my life. I'm ready. Okay. All right. Um, and she is dead now, so I can, yes, right. I can, yeah, I can, that's I can right. talk about it. Yeah. Okay. First of all, it was a terrible play. Okay. That's number one. Okay. It's a terrible play. Uh, I kind of did it because, you know, well, it was going to go off Broadway. Sure. I knew the director. Mm-hmm. We all, and it was a leading role. Okay. Dolores <laughs> was never... Sober. Let's put it that uh, way. Okay. She's not quite sober. <laughs> mm-hmm. She never really remembered her lines. Mm. She never remembered her blocking. Mm. Helen Hamft. Do you remember Helen Hamft? Yes. Sure. Yeah. One of the funniest women, sort of an off-Broadway fixture. Mm-hmm. Here's my favorite moment. The phone <laughs> was placed in the middle of the room. And every time the phone rang, it was supposed to be the offstage character of Dolores Gray's best friend, Sylvia. Every time she picked up the phone, she was supposed to say, hello, Sylvia, what's going on? <laughs> well, Helen could not, I mean, uh, Dolores. Dolores could not really remember that. And she would get very boggled by the phone ringing. She was always looking around on the stage. Meanwhile, it was right in front of her. It was right in front of her. Well, the best was when she was so sort of out of it, she picked up the phone and she played a character named Phyllis. That was her name, Phyllis. She picked up the phone and said, 
Hello, Phyllis. How are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Helen Hamp, by this point, was so upset because this had been going on for mm-hmm. a number of days now. Helen Hamft actually got on stage and said, you can't pick up the phone and call yourself. (laughs) She said this in front of the audience. (laughs) People were screaming. People were just screaming. And then I played um, Dolores's daughter, Claudia. She never quite got my name right. Uh, And the very first preview we ever did I was you know I came in and I said mother how are you and I was supposed to go over to the bar and fix myself a drink this is our first performance the audience is right there Dolores comes over to me she goes Carla how are you first of all she never got the name Claudia right she called me Uh, Carla meanwhile uh, there was another character in the show called Carla Carla, people were very confused Billy Halston was not supposed to be playing Carla In the middle of the play, she literally said this to me loudly. Julie, I love your earrings. (laughs) I mean. Well, it was a compliment. Yeah. It was a compliment. (laughs) You could see people looking through their programs going, wait, is her name Claudia, Carla, Carla? or Julie? Julie, yeah. (laughs) Three halves bigger than life, right? And and Helen Gallagher. was, you know, who was a total pro, mm-hmm. had to finally go out on stage. And I'll, meet, I, I'll never forget it. She came up to me backstage one time and she said, look, she doesn't know her blocking. I'm just going to steer her to the couch. Wow. Let her sit there. Mm-hmm. Don't let her get up. <laughs> and literally, that's what Helen did. She steered her to the couch. And she actually said this on stage. She said, Phyllis, don't get up. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you have to see Helen Gallagher, this tiny little woman, steering Dolores Gray onto the couch and saying, Phyllis, don't get up. And of course, poor Dolores was so confused and she kind of tried to get up and Helen uh, Gallagher pushed her down, down. and said, don't get up, Phyllis. I'll get everything. And she did. She went around and got all the props. It was fantastic. For wow. those for those of our, our listeners who don't recognize Helen Hanft but by name, she's uh, the woman uh, in the beginning of the movie of Moonstruck who says to her husband, I see the wolf in every person I've ever met, and I see the wolf in you. That is exactly right. And that was very Helen Hamp, wasn't it? She was she was really hilarious. And and the thing that was kind of great about all those gals, you know, uh, particularly Helen Gallagher, um, every day during rehearsal, she'd come in and she'd go, I'm going to quit. Yeah, I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. Never did. She never did because, you know, she was a pro. Sure. But, uh, you know, and, and then she she and I would go out to lunch. Helen and I, and, uh, and she would just, you know, she would tell me wonderful stories though, about in a sense, her heyday, you know, and she's also been an acting teacher for many years, right? Yes. 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 And a great one. And she's just smart and she was wonderful. Um, it, It was really a disaster all around. 
there are people in this city because the show only ran for five performances. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people in this city who have seen all five performances. Because, no kidding. Oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, do you remember? I don't know if it's still there, but there was a Bally's gym. I guess it was over the fairway or it was uh-huh. on 72nd street or okay. whatever. There was oh no, a- it was, <laughs> is that the one that was over D'Agostino? But that was my gym. I was literally doing my stretches on a mat and this guy, his name was Tim. He came up to me. He said, are you Julie Halston? I said, yes. He said, well, I just want you to know I came to the first performance of Money Talks. And I just started laughing. I said, oh, my God, I, I'm so sorry. I hope you got your money back. He said, are you kidding? I called everyone I knew <laughs> and said, we are going to go to every performance. It's not going to last long, but we're going to go. They came to every performance. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was fantastic. And he was, he was at the shows. He, it was great. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So, so uh, quite, it, a, quite a time. I'm so glad as I long brought as, it up. as long as we're going to be canceled, uh, why don't we talk about Scott Rudin? Uh, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> this has been, um, uh, the worst kept secret on Broadway. Uh, I didn't, uh, of course it makes sense totally now that it, it happened in Hollywood too, but, um, you know, um, Scott, uh, seemed to have gone through assistance like Murphy Brown used to, yes. uh, and the Hollywood reporter, uh, article came out this week, um, uh, 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 you know, documenting at least four stories of, uh, of people who worked for him that, uh, suffered abuse. Uh, did you ever work with Scott? I did, and I did Adam's Family Values, which, of course, was written by Paul Rudnick, Mm -hmm. and it was such a great experience, actually. Um, And in those days, you know, movies in the 80s, it was made in the, I think, late 80s, early 90s. Um, You know, if the the cloud coverage wasn't right, they just said, oh, we're canceling filming. You know, it was Mm -hmm. a riot. I mean, the, the, the kind of excess. Barry Sonnenfeld played my, who was the director, played my husband. Mm. And David Krumholtz played my son, who was the complete nerd of the camp. And um, there were camp scenes. Christine Baranski was in it, Peter McNichol. It was a great cast. Uh, the, the great Raul Julia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, oh, I forgot her name. How can I forget her name? Who played Morticia? Angelica Houston. Angelica, Angelica yeah. Yeah, it was just a great cast. Anyway, and Harriet Harris was in it. Anyway, um, Barry and Scott were always fighting. Always. Um, Barry wanted some one thing. Scott would say no, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Scott, I think it was the one who came up with this idea that during the camp scene, all the dreary parents should have a stunt where their um, seats went backwards and they were all thrown to the ground. And you know, that was meaning a different shooting schedule. It meant, you know, we all had to, it was a whole different, you know, it was another day of shooting. Scott really wanted this to happen. I don't think Barry did. There were cell phones being tossed, but it was by Barry. 
I think, <laughs> not by Scott. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Scott came up to me and he goes, hey, Julie, I'm going to give you a really big laugh. I want you to be in this, you know, thing where you tumble backwards and you end up on the ground. I looked at Scott. I said, Scott, you know that stunt pay. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know that stunt pay. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the thing about Scott. You got to give him, you got to give back what he gives you. And I said, no, 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 Scott, it's done pay. I'm not doing this just so that, you know, and he goes, it's going to be a big laugh. I said, it's done pay. You got to call my agents and I'm not going to do it until I know what I'm getting. And I looked it up and it was something like 800 a day. Wow. I got a thousand bucks. All right. So Scott came up to me after the whole thing and he goes, you happy with the stunt? And I said, yeah. And he had a big smile on his face and he he didn't give me any problem. Mm -hmm. Not one problem. So I was like, I get on with Scott Rudin. Mm -hmm. I got extra pay. So (laughs) I would not want to be his assistant. Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So that was my stunt my little stunt thing. And, and you know what? It was a big laugh in the movie. Mm-hmm. He was uh-huh. right. He was right. So I'm confused about um, where you grew up because everything I look says Suffolk County. That's yes. on Long, Long Island. Is yes. that a city or is that, is no. there actually, no. All right. So where is the actual city? That, it's, I wouldn't call it a city. Okay. <laughs> it's it's Comac, Long Island. Ah, oh. the Comac Motor Inn, the Comac Roller Rink. Oh yes, the and Com- the arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Long Island Long Island Arena. Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell, Bob Costas, oh. myself. Um, Comac. Oh. Well, it, it you know it was a potato farm. Then it became kind of a sort of lower middle class, middle class enclave. Now it's super desirable. People want to live in Comac. Ah. Um, but it was between Smithtown and Dix Hills kind of thing. Um, and, and, uh, but I went to um, Catholic schools. Yep. I didn't yep. go to the Comac public schools. My yeah. sister Mary did, but I, I don't know why my mother, I th- I guess she thought I was a bit of a wild child and I needed nuns. Um, <laughs> it just gave me more comedy. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Comac is the actual place. Was, given that you mentioned nuns, uh, was this any inspiration for the character you played in The Divine Sister? It was. It was. Really? <laughs> um, you know, that was the other thing that Charles and I always talked about. He was a Jewish boy who grew up in a secular Jewish home. Mm-hmm. I was a Catholic girl who desperately wanted to be Jewish uh-huh. <laughs> um, because I grew up in a home where, you know, my mother would have Rita's digest where you could get condensed stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went to my Jewish friend's home and they actually had the real books. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was a very good reader. I wanted to read the real books. Mm-hmm. So, Charles and I would talk a lot about our childhoods, a lot. And this is the thing that I don't think people really have understood about a lot of the plays that he's written, you know, and and obviously the roles that he's written for me. They've all come out of enormous conversations that Charles and I have had Hmm. over the years. You know, I used to just 
go to his apartment and we would just sit there all day mm-hmm. and talk about our lives. You know, and, and he has it's, it's self-indulgent on a certain level, but it also created mm-hmm. a lot of the plays. Mm-hmm. And the Divine Sister was, was of course, it, and that is one of my favorites. And again, <laughs> it takes place in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. So, and that was one of the best of the, of the Zoom presentations that I've seen during the pandemic. I agree. I agree. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it was a great cast. And Carl really helped us. Carl Andrus, the director, really helped us figure out. And also because, very much like Paul Rudnick, you know, Charles is a very clever writer. There mm. are really major jokes in there. Very much like Robert Horn, you know, uh, real jokes, Paul Rudnick, Charles Bush. When you have really solid jokes that don't rely on necessarily visual gags, mm-hmm you can do a Zoom reading and make it really work. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Plus, we all know this work so well, it's not like we're learning something for the first time. We knew how to do it. We knew where the beats were. We knew where to take a pause. We knew where not to take a pause, you know? Uh, So it was really quite, quite well done, quite well done. I read it. You mentioned Miss Stafford before. So um, your Catholic school education was, was it just high school or what? Um, no, I went to Catholic grammar school, which was very, very tough. Uh-huh. And the nuns were, you know, sadists. I went to, I went to, yeah. Yeah, I you know. What you're talking. Yeah. Um, but my <laughs> high school uh, was very progressive and very liberal. And, um, you know, that's when that's when nuns carried guitars ah, yes. and, and sang folk music. That's right. So that's so it was um, and we were doing things like Viet Rock or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was the protest era. So it was really fun. Uh, and I am still still friends with all my high school friends. Ah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, I come from a very conservative Catholic family and an Italian one as well. And so uh, I know that if um, I were working with Charles Bush, my family would have been scandalized. Uh, did you have any of those same type of reactions from your family? Um, I think my mom was a little, a little like, oh, well, there's <laughs> language here. But the thing is, my mom was so, my mom loved the theater so much. Oh, good. It was like... Well, I don't really love the language, but I love the theater. Yeah. And I love the fact that my daughter's on stage. So uh-huh. she didn't really care. She didn't really care. So <laughs> it was a variation at the end of the music, ma'am. That's my girl up there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> did they take you to Broadway shows every now and then? Or, they uh, did. They yeah. did. And my mom really was one of those matinee ladies. And uh-huh. You know, she would tell me all about when she was growing up, all the shows she saw, like she saw Julie Harris do, you know, um, member of the wedding, member of the wedding and Mm -hmm. South Pacific. And, you know, so I yeah, she it it really stirred something in me. It really did. So, Julie, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. We really appreciate you spending so much time with us. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved it. 
Uh, you have uh, the period piece coming up tomorrow evening. The link's in the show notes. And also you have your uh, play with Kevin Cahoon going on. It's only a play. Uh, going to film at George Street. And then I guess we'll uh, we'll find out when that's going to come out. And yes. we'll, it'll we'll be talk in about June. Yeah, it'll be in June. And uh, we'll know more, too, about the, the live streaming dates and whatnot. But I think it's going to be... I think it might even be like three weeks worth. So I'll Great. keep Sam involved. I'll keep everyone involved about that. Uh, Cause I think that's going to be spectacular. And again, so many great Broadway stars are going to be in it and it's, it's going to be really funny. And if you know the play, it's a real love letter to the theater. That's wonderful. The virtual Halston is all up on YouTube. I'll have a link to that in show notes. Julie, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time. And and Peter and Michael and James, you know, I just, obviously, I can't wait till we're actually all at That's right. Yes. Yeah. The sooner the better. The sooner the better. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye. Thank you. But for a while I will stand completely still. My heart's trying to tell me something Yes, my heart begin Speak about a spin Tell me something Tell me something Yes, my heart It's wonderful Yes, my heart This is a Catching up with Julie, you know, we, we didn't uh, mention, uh, we had Julie on, God, uh, 10 years ago or so. Uh, wow. And, uh, and it's just been too long. It was really, really wonderful to catch up with her and see how it is. God, I can't wait to watch my bootleg of Money Talks. Now I didn't, I, I've never watched it. But boy, tonight, I know what I'm watching. I don't even remember. Who was the playwright? His name was Edward Schloss. Does that mean anything to you? Doesn't to me. I mean, I, if I hadn't called it up, I wouldn't have known that information. Yeah, no. So, so yeah, I was looking around for information about it, and there's uh, Money Talks by David Friedman and Peter Kellogg. That was at right. the Dav- that was at right, the Davenport. Right. Yeah, that's we should make it clear show. that that's not if the that's one not we're it. talking about. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, so. Um, I guess that would be a good lead into a money talks type of trivia that we could have in a, a few weeks from now. You know, which which money talks uh, ran longer? You know. So, all right. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? Yes, indeed. Uh, the question was: This performer appeared in two music in musicals in three and only three Broadway theaters, received two and only two Tony nominations. Who's this performer? What were the musicals, and who were the winners? Well, Juliet Green noted that the qualifications were met by Gavin Lee and Jonathan Groff, which I didn't realize. Who I had in mind was Barbara Streisand, uh, who appeared in "I Can Get a Few Wholesale" and "Funny Girl," and she respectively lost to Philip Newman, uh, Phyllis Newman in "Subways Up for Sleeping" and Carol Channing for "Hello Dolly." Yes, Streisand did Funny Girl at one and only one theater, the Winter Garden, but she opened wholesale at the Schubert, and then it moved to the Broadway theater known as the Broadway. So that makes three. Uh, but the ones who guessed who, what was on my mind were Tony Janicki, Ingrid Gammerman, Brigadude, and Fred Abramowitz. Sorry, Fred Abramowitz. Okay, <laughs> I apologize, Fred. This week's question. Any musical that opens downtown hopes to move uptown. This one did. But after it moved uptown, it eventually moved downtown again. 
<laughs> although to a different theater than his first downtown theater. Then it eventually moved uptown again, although to a different theater than his first uptown theater. A hint, one of those theaters doesn't exist anymore. Mm. One has a different name, and the other two have been repurposed. What's the musical? Wow. And you think they could have done it on the A-Train. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The A-Train plays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have this week in our uh, musical moment? Well, we seem to be celebrating a lot of anniversaries mm, lately yeah. because I guess a lot of great shows opened in, uh, you know, 1951, 61, mm. 71, probably 41 also. I didn't check. Uh, uh, and one of the shows, uh, anniversaries coming up this week on April 13th is Carnival, which opened on April 13th, 1961 and ran to January 5th, 1963. And it's a wonderful show uh, with a wonderful score. Music and lyrics by Bob Merrill was directed by Gower Champion. And the cast included Anna Maria Alberghetti, Jerry Orbach, uh, Kay Ballard, uh, and wonderful James Mitchell. Um, so we, uh, I guess we're actually going to give you two musical moments from that leading into um, uh, the, the second part of our podcast today. Is was Yes, My Heart, uh, sung by Anna Maria Alberghetti and company from the from the cast album. And uh, we're going to end with a really beautiful song <laughs> called Her Face. Um, uh, in the show, Jerry Orbach played a, a, a puppeteer who is also a war veteran, and he's um, he's somewhat disabled for, due to an injury in the war, and he's a very bitter person, and so he really can't express the love he feels for Lily, uh, you know, the, the, the leading lady. And so things don't go well for them until the very end of the show. And this uh, song happens after he, um, he has suddenly kissed her uh, out of the blue and she's shocked by, and she doesn't know how to react to it. Uh, So, they sing in counterpoint um, uh, this this beautiful song, and I think it's really wonderful. I'm I'm sorry that there was never a film made of Carnival, uh, but on that note, uh, there there were plans for one, and it was to have been directed by Gower Champion, and there exists uh, a footage of a screen mm, test yeah. of Cheetah Rivera mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for the role of Rosalie, which was mm. created on Broadway by Kay Ballard. And we're sending you um, a link to that that screen test on YouTube. It starts out with both Gower and Cheetah on screen, and then he uh, then he does something incredible. I, I guess to relax her, um, and I won't say anything more. But but please watch this clip uh, and and this moment I'm referring to happens. I think within the first minute, and it's absolutely wonderful and sweet and hilarious uh but also great to see uh cheetah looks amazing in this clip it's not it's not the kind of a screen test where she's actually doing any song or dialogue from the show she's just talking with with gower champion on on camera to see how she you know would come across so uh please enjoy that and please enjoy the musical moments from carnival let me ask the two of you if you know any information about this um Mm -hmm. when 
when Rosalie's song, Here's to the Son of a Bee, Trala, yes. mm-hmm. was, was that 60 years ago? Was that found risque? Was it, was it a controversial or? Um, I, re- I saw the national tour with Susan Watson and Ed Ames. And um, it actually was Son of a Bee as opposed to Son of a Bitch. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And um, so I remember, you know, of course, I was a teenager and, uh, you know, I remember uh, thinking it was uproariously rippled. But um, even though it was a Wednesday matinee, the audience was um, fine with it. They enjoyed it. Huh. Okay. Well, the thing is, Carnival is, you know, it is a it's a very adult musical, despite the mm. childlike elements in it. Uh, so I think maybe that helped the audience to accept it. Okay, so on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Tremble.